There's not one guy, one person in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. Coach Switzer, myself, or Lincoln Riley. And what I told the players is they are the program. Players throughout these decades, they are OU football. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. All three of us are still here, but Lincoln Riley is not. We will uh, have an interesting podcast tonight. Uh, who knows how long it might go. I'm sure we'll need to get some things off our chest uh, after the shocking weekend. I, I guess we're not even going to talk Bedlam at this point because who cares? Um, but Tyler, Corbin, why? <laughs> go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Adam, I first just want to say I hope you and Corbin had a had a great Thanksgiving. It definitely uh, it was good getting to be able to spend some time with the family, kind of get away for a little bit, not talk about football. Um, and boy, were we welcome back! Um, Thanksgiving was over, you know, from Saturday at six thirty when Bedlam kicked off to six thirty on Sunday night. That was probably the wildest, craziest twenty four hour period I've ever seen with Oklahoma football. Um, I was pissed off with the way that we played against Oklahoma State, mainly because of the second half special team screw ups. Uh, might have been nice to have a special teams coach, Lincoln, um, this year. Might have paid off. And then Lincoln for the third week in a row, not having really a game plan whenever uh, a team rushes three and drops eight. So it uh, feels like we kind of know why that was, why we didn't have a game plan for that right now. But um, anyways, all this is kind of besides the point. I know I know, we're not here to talk about Bedlam. I could honestly – I don't give two shits about that game. We're, we're at DEFCON 5 right now. We've got much bigger problems than the results of this past Saturday. But – uh, obviously, we'll dive into that here in just a second with uh, I mean, how about the Riley. Pokes, right? Come out and you finally beat OU, clinch a swat. Obviously, you're already in the Big 12 championship, but you make sure Oklahoma's not in it with you. You should be the talk of the town in this state, and you're not. <laughs> Lincoln Riley bolts the next day after, quote-unquote, having a conversation with USC Saturday night, Sunday morning uh, for the first time, which is, I think we can all agree, just complete BS. Um I feel like I've gone through every stage of grief uh, that is out there. I've gone from sh- shocked and disappointed to upset to angry. And I think today I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, okay, like it happened. It was weird seeing Lincoln at a USC, you know, press conference. Um, it was even stranger that that's the day they decided to clean the, uh, the Coliseum and had people with trash bags right behind him as he is, uh, you know, taking his his first video with with the Trojans. Um, it's bizarre, guys. I know we're going to get into a lot here, but it was just weird. Well, you know, Adam, you know, despite how bad Bedlam was waking up on Sunday, I felt kind of okay because in the postgame, Lincoln Riley kind of squashed the rumor of him going to LSU, and I was actually laying on the couch, you know, you know with watching Taken with Bree and her family when my phone started blowing up, and it was just nonstop all day Sunday. People calling me, text me, asking what's going on, what's happening. Uh, I'm talking to you guys. We're trying to wrap our minds around the the fact that Lincoln Riley just pretty much royally screwed OU. Um, and we'll dive into that here in just a second. But that 24-hour period, guys, between the Bedlam loss and Lincoln Riley, that's going to be remember, remembered for the rest of our lives. And I think it's going to truly be kind of like a where were you when this happened kind of moment uh, if you're an OU fan that we'll talk about for yeah. a long time. I think it's true for all of us, but this is the first time ever that a coaching search has happened in my fandom of OU. And 
we're we're still relatively young OU fans, but we're we're starting to tip the scales, uh, which is kind of sad because that shows how long it's been since we won a championship. But we're starting to, you know, all three of us get uh, close to thirty or over thirty at this point and become more of the middle aged fan base. We've seen started to see a lot uh, as far as OU history goes, and um, you know, Saturday night, I, I thought coming out of that game. It was really frustrating. Um, I mean, you could look at it in the micro, uh, you know, as far as, hey, we weren't expected to win. We came in. It was a push, but you thought, oh, you probably played better than what most people would have expected. But then if you take a look back at the macro picture and realize, hey, this was the second ranked team at the beginning of the season. They were supposed to at least reach the national championship and came nowhere close to that, like massive failure of the season. And Lincoln was going to have to make some pretty hard decisions in the offseason. Apparently, uh, he made a very hard decision about where he wanted to be and where he didn't want to be. And, uh, of course, um, he tells no lies, and that all happened in the span of about 12 hours. Uh, because we know, you know, your girlfriend can't uh, decide where she wants to go eat, but she can decide to move across the entire country and choose a totally different place for her, for her kids to live. So it, it's just it's wild. And, you know, every single coaching search out there, there's going to be feelings of betrayal. Um, there's going to be feelings of, Oh, this guy lied to us. It happens all the time. Um, but typically that's a guy leaving from a group of five school to go to a power five school. It was kind of a no brainer. The people that, you know, were shocked by that were really the ones that, um, you know, just didn't have a perspective on the hierarchy of college football. This is totally different. USC is theoretically a blue blood, you know, of equal standing, but recently, not at all. Um, so it wasn't for lack of money necessarily. There doesn't seem to be indications that OU wasn't willing to match something or wasn't willing to provide something necessarily. So it's got to be the most head-scratching coaching change in recent memory until Brian Kelly moved to LSU two in uh, two days. But it's got to be the most shocking ever. Guys, I think as I've... Um dissected you know everything over the past few days i've come up with three logical reasons of potentially why this took place and and the first one is what everybody has said so far at least you know to the media to the public is that lincoln riley just wanted a new challenge a new opportunity i don't know how you guys feel about that i think that's that's just simply not true there was so much more to accomplish here at the university of oklahoma that he had in front of him to do and he chose not to and now instead of being, you know, a team that, you know, could have been another top five, you know, team heading into next season. Now he's starting over at USC who hasn't been relevant in quite some time. And we, I remember in the off season, we were talking about USC the same way we were talking about Texas. Now I think after losing to Kansas, I'd probably put Texas a little bit below where USC is, um, you know, currently, but he's going to restart a program, which makes no sense for when you consider everything that he had in front of him here in Norman the second thing um, that I think is possible is that Lincoln Riley really didn't want to compete in the SEC. I think it's fair to say that regardless of who ends up being the next OU head coach, Lincoln Riley's probably going to have more regular season success with USC in the Pac-12 than anybody that OU is going to hire. SEC is a lot tougher than Pac-12. It's not even close. I'd put the Pac-12 as far as competition below the Big 12, to be honest. So he's, he's choosing an easier path than what he's already done. I think Lincoln is a guy who cares about his image, cares about how the public perceives him. And if he starts getting into the SEC where he's losing anywhere from two to four to five games a year with this OU program, I don't think he's looked at as a dominant 
top five coach in college football like he is at the moment. I think that's a high possibility that he wanted to protect his reputation and go to an easier path at USC. I think we can all agree that is a much easier path to the playoff moving forward, you know, at a place like USC that does have all the potential in the world to be a year in year out playoff contender with very little pushback as far as the um, competition goes. I think lastly, an option could be that Lincoln is kind of doing this for a good reason in the sense that he knows that under Josie's guidance, OU will never fully compete in the SEC. None of us, this is news to none of us, the SEC recruits dirty. They cheat. To get the big guys to win in that conference, you have to do things that the NCAA is not going to allow. I think we can all agree, knowing Josie and knowing this athletic department, that's never going to happen at the University of Oklahoma. It's just not. And maybe Lincoln saw that SEC or not, OU ceiling was never going to be able to overcome a Georgia and Alabama and LSU to get them back into winning a national championship. I mean, we've all heard things about the compliance office at OU and how overbearing they are. Things that happen in Norman aren't happening anywhere else. I can see why Lincoln would leave to a spot like USC where I don't think they give two flying Fs about the compliance side of their program. That's kind of where I've, I've, I've narrowed things down to of kind of three reasons kind of why this took place. I don't know if you all agree, but that's kind of where I'm at. Well, I mean, this really isn't anything new at Oklahoma with other schools wanting to hire away our coach. I mean, we saw it nonstop with with Coach Stoops, and it's happened with Lincoln Riley as well, where, you know, during the offseason, teams contact their agents to, you know, really gauge on if they'd like to leave Oklahoma for to seek maybe another opportunity. And if you're smart, like Bob did so many times, and even Lincoln did a couple years ago, you'll take that back to Oklahoma and to Joe C, leverage it to get a bigger deal, and, you know, one, uh, get one that you've got. And guys, I, I think it's safe to say for the last few weeks, we all thought Lincoln Riley and his agent were in talks with LSU. Um, and with the upcoming move to the SEC, we've heard things like, you know, Lincoln was maybe not a fan of this decision and that Oklahoma wasn't quite ready yet to make that transition. Um, for OU to compete year in and year out with the likes of the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Auburns and the Floridas, there was going to have to be some major changes with how Oklahoma's athletic department operated. Everything from, you know, recruiting budgets, additional staff members, more flexibility, like you said, Corbin, from the compliance department and from everything that we've heard, these were things that Lincoln and the administration clashed heads heads on. So there's that. Now, we've talked about it kind of all year long, pretty much ever since the second half of the two-lane game, that something just felt off with this football team. The preseason expectations were clearly way off base. Uh, because we were guys maybe 10 plays away from this being a 7-5 and five football team this year. But now, two days removed from Lincoln leaving for USC, it almost makes it almost kind of makes sense why the season played out the way that it did. Uh, we had a head coach that spent the last half of the season shopping for jobs, and the entire month of November he was coaching with one foot out the door. He wasn't 100% all in on Oklahoma. There's, I know that there's stuff being reported out there that completely disproves that claim that he was 100% on board with this program and was committed to leading Oklahoma to a national championship. I don't care what you heard him say in his introductory press conference, what he said on Scott Van Pelt, what he said with his new best friend Colin Cowherd today about how he had communicated with any other program other than Oklahoma until early Sunday morning. Bullshit. Lincoln expects us to believe that he had no contact with any other school, and then all of a sudden he gets word late Saturday night after Bedlam that USC is interested in him after a couple of conversations, uh, less than 10 hours. He all of a sudden has a nine-figure contract signed to go to USC. I'm not buying it. He's had this thing in place for weeks, 
and he was just waiting on Oklahoma to be eliminated from the Big 12 and ultimately national title contention uh, to, to make the move. And guys, I'm not saying that th- this is true or or not, but me, t- I, I think that his interest in LSU was legit, but LSU to me was a smokescreen all along for the public to talk about uh, while Lincoln's people kind of coordinated behind the scenes with USC. And for a coach that has said, you know, time and time again, over the years, and especially in recent press conferences, we've got the receipts to pull back up anytime we want to watch it. Um, he said over and over again, you know, you know me, you know how I feel about this place. You know how I love being the head coach at the University of Oklahoma. There's not a better program out there. We've got great administration uh, as a head coach. You, we've got tremendous support. You couldn't ask for anything more. You really expect us to believe that you made this decision after a, after a couple of phone calls less than 10 hours after the game ended? and you didn't consult with Josie on anything, if you truly valued and loved the University of Oklahoma and you enjoyed being here, if if LSU or USC came to you with an offer, you would have gone back to Josie, like I said at the very beginning, leveraging that in order to get yourself a better deal. I'm dumb and naive, but I'm not dumb and naive to the point to where Lincoln Lincoln Riley really expects me to believe that this thing came together in a matter of just a handful of hours on Sunday morning. It's just simply not true. Well, I think Corbin, the points that you gave there, I think are pretty telling. And, you know, the, the track record of a coach leaving a blue blood for another blue blood basically just doesn't exist up until the last two days. And, um, you know, as we know, um, by all accounts, it sounds like OU was willing to match any type of money offering that USC had. It sounds like there were uh, plans in the work to just up, you know, our, our resources, whatever that might be extra analyst, extra recruiting budget, whatever it might be. It sounds like there were plans in the work for that. It might not have been exactly what Lincoln Riley was asking for, but it sounds like there was um, some movement in that direction. And it sounds like there probably will be for whoever is the new coach that's coming in. So, you know, looking back, you have to say, well, what changed? What changed over the course of the last six, seven months? And it's really the SEC. That's the only thing that changed. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I'm not a big fan of this move we're not at all ready as a program to go in the SEC. Like some, uh, some OU fans are just naive and think we're going to go in there and win, you know, 10 games a year. Like we always do. Um, even if Lincoln Riley had stayed and that just was not going to be the case. We needed to step up our game a ton and just going and, and being in that league doesn't necessarily automatically do that for you. Um, so I wasn't the biggest fan of that. Um, I, I think it's going to be a real adjustment for OU fans to have to, you know, start losing four games a year, like that's going to happen sometimes. And so I I think Lincoln saw that coming possibly and said, Hey, like, I don't know if I want to go into that type of pressure cooker and see, you know, what happens at LSU, what happens at Auburn seemingly all the time where coaches are on the hot seat and getting fired. Um, You know, Dan Mullen, uh, for example. So uh, I think he saw that buzzsaw coming and didn't want to face that challenge, Um, whether, you know, his reasons were valid for not wanting to face that or not. Um, that's fine. I, I mean, fine, like move on. We, we, we don't want to coach the scared of a challenge like that. Um, and you know, we looked at it a couple of weeks back and saw that, you know, the, the track record of coaches winning a national championship at the same school past year four is almost none. It's Dabo Sweeney who has Brent Venables who we'll talk about here in a second and Mac Brown. And so Lincoln was past that window at this point. And we've seen, you know, his teams progressively get worse as he was here. So you have to look at that and say, man, that this is a nuke on our program. But maybe in the long run, this is going to help out whoever that next coach is, or maybe the, the coach after this next coach to get to that national championship and get us back to where we need to be as a program. I think one thing that 
the three of us know, and I would imagine the majority of our listeners know, is whether you were born in Oklahoma, lived in Oklahoma, are a notable figure in Oklahoma, you know that this state um, relies on loyalty quite a bit. It, it means something different in this state to be committed to being a Sooner, even being a, a cowboy. Shout out Mike Gundy. He never did this, and he had opportunities to go to bigger, better places. It means something different here. And so when something like this happens in the state of Oklahoma where football is king above anything else, it hits different when somebody decides to leave you, especially for a place like L.A., right? That just, it hits different to this fan base, hits different to the population, hits different to, for the players. And so I think that's one thing that, that will always be difficult. And I obviously have moved out of the state myself, but like I still have those same roots. And obviously I still have that love and the passion for the university, and obviously the football program. So when a guy like Lincoln, who has, as you mentioned, Adam, has said, and you as well, Tyler, has said time and time again about how he was opposed to these types of moves, how Gary Patterson getting fired midseason, he just could never believe it. How could you make that decision? How he was committed to this university. And to do that from then using LSU as a smokescreen to get to USC, the, the whole way it went about. And now, obviously, while I don't necessarily blame him for doing so, immediately going after all those West Coast kids that had committed to him and the University of Oklahoma, I get that's part of the game. Um, yeah, it, it, it rubs us different. I think that's a fair uh, statement to say. At the same time, now you kind of have to look back, specifically over the past three to four weeks, and wonder if there was more in Lincoln's mind as far as what we were 9-0 at one point, 8-0, I forget what we were at at a time, and then you lose two out of the last three, and you look at a Bedlam game where we don't score a single offensive point in the second half, and then you add that to the, the equation of Lincoln leaves the next day, and that's a day before in-home visits start. I mean, I'm watching Tiger King 2 right now as a nice distraction. Obviously, there's conspiracy theories all over the place with that one. So I'm in a conspiracy theory mode. Did Lincoln lose Bedlam to, to move on from this? I, I'm not I'm not there to say that, you know, he lost that game on purpose. But, I mean, it is pretty telling um, or I guess concerning might be a better word. The fact that, you know, what's been what's been the one type of defense that's, you know, given OU fits over the last couple of years it's been the it's been the Iowa State umbrella defense rush three drop eight in coverage. We saw it three straight weeks. We didn't have success with it against Baylor. We had a little bit of success with it against Iowa State, although Caleb kind of struggled a little bit. And then once you got into Bedlam, OU OU lit Oklahoma State up in the first half when Oklahoma State was playing their traditional defense that Jim Knowles has, has been running all year. And it wasn't until the second half that they switched to that copycat defense that that Iowa State runs and. Lincoln Riley just simply had no answer for it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know from a lack of preparation standpoint, if he didn't put 100% of his time and energy into what we were doing to try to win Bedlam, uh, to try to compete for another Big Cool championship. But, uh, I mean, guys, you, you just talk about kind of the exit strategy and everything that that went into it on Sunday. And, you know, after the news breaks on Twitter, uh, you know, he, he calls a meeting and then spends less than two minutes with the players before just walking out. And, you know, we've heard rumors that, you know, Bob had to essentially tell Lincoln, get your ass in there. I'm not sure how much of that's true. There's a lot of stuff out there right now. But you're talking about a head coach that's recruited every single one of these guys and has made commitments to them and their families. And as we saw today, Brian Kelly isn't any better. 
I know there probably isn't an easy way to do it, but but you mean to tell me you can't take more than 120 seconds to say goodbye to your team after you've pretty much lied to them, lied to your coaches, lied to the administration, and basically the entire fan base for the last month. While I'm thankful for some of the things that Lincoln did here at OU, all this hatred and negativity that's kind of being thrown his way since Sunday, I think a lot of it's valid, and I think he deserves quite a bit of it. I mean, who cares, though, Tyler? Like, if he had spent 60 minutes in there, would we feel better about this? No. Does he need to no. go around and hug every single player? No. He doesn't He doesn't need to answer questions. No one wants to sit there and hear him give a long speech about why he's leaving or anything. I mean, all they really want to do is probably hear it from his mouth, and that's it. And, like, I, I just – I could care, you know – I, I couldn't I, I care guess, less about it. I guess maybe it's the simple fact that all of that could have pre- been prevented and he could have got that message out directly to them instead of his players, even his coaches, and even Joe Castiglione having to find out about it from a Pete Thamel uh, or a Bruce Feldman tweet that that's comes how, out on social that's media. That's how they always happen at this point, though. Like No one is able to tell their players before it gets to social media. This always gets leaked. So I'm not saying Lincoln Riley's sitting there going, oh, do I tell the players or do I let it leak? I'll let it leak. Like it just, it, that's how it happens. It just, I mean, I, I can't really fault that. I mean, we can sit here and make the same complaints that every school makes whenever they lose their coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not used to this scenario as an OU fan. It really, doesn't happen at a place like Oklahoma. No, and, and that's exactly why. Like that's what we need to be focused on as far as like asking our questions about like, why would anyone ever leave OU for another blue blood? Like it makes zero sense when you consider money and everything is equal. And I don't know that we'll ever know the real answers because Lincoln, I mean, he, he straight up lies. Like we knew this, we knew he lied to the media all the time before he ever left this school. He lied about injuries, you know, like the whole CD lamb thing with the Baylor game uh, a few years back. He lies all the time about not knowing things. Um, it, it was constant. So I don't know that we'll ever know the answer. I don't think Joe C will ever, you know, say anything of substance um, beyond what he's already said at this point. So uh, we just got to move on. I mean, and this is the, this is the challenge that's before us. Like it's never happened at a program of this size with this many talented players coinciding at the same time as the transfer portal, because normally, you know, a guy's going from, you know, a Louisiana to a Florida like Billy Napier is, is going and Billy's not going to turn around and take a bunch of Louisiana players with them. They're they're on a different level. So this is the first time ever where we might see a mass exodus of guys going to, you know, Lincoln Riley's new school. We'll see recruits go with them. Um, and we've already seen Malachi Nelson go ahead and flip his uh, commitment. We've got four or five other decommitments on that front. We've got tons of guys flowing into the portal. So a new hire is coming quick. In my opinion, it, it, I think by the end of this week, I think we'll know for sure who the guy is um, to kind of stop that bleeding and, and turn the tide back. But yeah, I mean, the, this program could be facing a significant hole as it stands right now that no other program has ever felt outside of any type of NCAA sanctions. Well, Corbin, I do want to make a point about, you know, the the comparison between USC and Oklahoma, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well after. But, I mean, you know, pe- people are making the claim that Lincoln Riley was afraid to fail at Oklahoma in the SEC, and, you know, maybe that's kind of the reason why he took the USC job. I don't know if I'm all the way there with that, but I think there was part of Lincoln that maybe didn't want to compete, or I guess maybe he didn't want to fail in the SEC and have to deal with the grind of that conference that it takes week in and week out. Um, that's just my opinion on it. As much as we bashed Lincoln Riley in the first 15 minutes of this podcast, this move by him is brilliant. And I think it's a perfect fit for him. USC in the Pac-12, when they've got it rolling 
is the exact same thing as what it is when Oklahoma is in the Big 12 over the last 20 years. Um, I but think the only person that's been able to do that is Pete Carroll. Like we know that, right? In the in the in the past 20 years, there has been one guy at USC who's been able to do that. Yeah, but I think you know most years Oklahoma has to deal with Texas, and then they can run the table against the rest of the the rest of the Big Twelve Conference. You look at USC; they they're going to have to deal with Oregon. Like that's going to be the rivalry in the in the Pac twelve: Mario Cristobal versus Lincoln Riley. If they can, if USC can knock off Oregon, it's an easy schedule the rest of the way. Um, it's a bad conference. I think it's a great fit for Lincoln Riley because you've got you've got a bunch of things that are in your favor in, in a head coaching job at USC. You've got unlimited funding. Los Angeles, California kind of sells itself, although it's taken a little bit of a downhill in the last couple of years. Uh, Hollywood just down the street, perfect weather. Um, even though the stadium is kind of a shithole, the facilities are pretty nice on, on the I've campus. I've seen the facilities for what it's worth. Pretty OU's, bad. OU's by a mile. Well, I mean, he's he's probably, and another thing, he's probably not going to like the amount of taxes that he's going to be paying in the state of California compared to what he was uh, here in Norman. But, I mean, you, you've got the Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, the Rams. It's a great sports town. And if Lincoln can get it rolling like Pete Carroll did 10, 15 years ago, I think he's going to have, just like at Oklahoma, he will have a much, much easier path to college football playoff compared to what it would have been in the SEC. And, again, I think it's a great fit for him. It's not as good of a job as Oklahoma. They're 4-7 and seven for a reason this year. They haven't been relevant in over a decade, like you said, Adam. But with how easy their schedule is, especially next year, having the transfer portal for Lincoln to access and kind of plug and play guys to, to kind of help what he wants to do offensively, it would not surprise me to see him win nine games next year. You know, I was joking to uh... – our most loyal listener the other day. We don't get into politics very much, but uh, I was joking that I hope California goes on lockdown, but I think Lincoln Riley might actually enjoy that. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm he'll excited. do really, I'm sure he'll do really well out there. I, I, I'm not sold that he'll win a national championship necessarily because the main complaint that, um, you know, West coast coaches have right now is that it's really difficult to find top linemen out there on the West coast. So if he can pull some guys from other parts of the country to come in and play on the, along the line of scrimmage, I, I mean, it's very realistic that he'll win a national championship there, but that's that much tougher there. And from what we know of Lincoln, maybe he'll change some of the, the things he does. Maybe he'll he'll figure it out and um, and he'll get over the hump. But from what we know, I don't, I I really don't feel like he was going to win a national championship here at OU based on what we had seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the culture we we called him soft a lot. Um, I was probably one of the most critical ones of Lincoln Riley out there. I never wanted him to leave though. But um, but yeah, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be tough for him to actually you know, reach the summit there, but I think he will do really well and it'll be a thorn in our side for as long as he's uh, still in college football. I mean, looking back at past, you know, USC history. So since Pete Carroll, they went Lane Kiffin, who his best year was 10 and two. Uh, Then you hire Sarkeesian, uh, nine and four, eight and six. I'll take any quarterback coached by Sarkeesian. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and then you got Clay Helton, who had went 10 and 3 and 11 and 3 in his first two years, and then 5 and 7, 8 and 5. Uh, 2021 is not here, but they are 5 and 1 in, in 2020. Um, well, I don't understand why Lincoln Riley having success there is a given, um, because there's something, something's been wrong with that place. We Like, like I mentioned before, it, it has that Texas feel where ever since Pete Carroll, there's been something wrong that has not been able to 
put that program honestly where it belongs in quite some time. Uh, the good news for Lincoln Riley is he has got all the time in the world right now, right? He could suck the next two seasons, but because of what he's going to be bringing in for the 2023 class, a lot of those guys, especially the top players on the offensive side of the ball, were committed to OU. He has nothing but time for the next four to five years to figure this out at USC. So time is not an issue. But Tyler, I think going back to your original point, I tried to go through and put Thank you for sharing that, Adam. I actually was mentioning to say that. So, um, you know, something that came out about 20 minutes ago, uh, Chris Plank expects Brent Venables to be the next head coach at Oklahoma any minute now. Uh, he came out with on that on the CBS Sports Radio. We'll talk about Venables here in a bit. But going back to what I was mentioning, I tried to put some pen to paper on, on what's a better job right now between USC and OU. I think the current state of the program, it's pretty obvious to tell you, I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's kind of a wash. Um, I think money and resources, you got to lean towards USC, even though, as you mentioned, Tyler, the taxes in California will come into play there. Fan base, that may be the most different of the two of any topic um, that we have. Obviously a tried and true fan base here at the university of Oklahoma uh, and SC, even when they're good, there's so many other things to do there. We've said it time and time again that Pac-12 does not care about football, and that's been a huge issue for them. Recruiting, I think USC has the edge for now when you think of the talent in California. Does that change when OU goes to the SEC? We'll see. You know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, getting those big boys in the trenches has been a problem for the Pac-12. Can OU start recruiting those guys more and more with the connections to the Southeast? Maybe. Facilities, I, I've seen the USC facilities. It was probably about five years ago now. Maybe they've made upgrades, but that was right when our facilities were brand new as well. But I just mm -hmm. seeing the football side of things, OU has a, a quite – I'm not going to say a massive difference in the facilities, but it, it's clearly better in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, everything I saw from football, as far as the weight room and things like that, everything was underground. It was weird um, because basically there's no space there to build one. Uh, as far as conference prestige, oh, you will have it in SEC, easier path to playoff. That's obviously USC. So I think at the end of the day, it, it's kind of a wash. Some things are better in Norman. Some things are better in LA. But I do agree with, I think, both of you that for Lincoln Riley – the, the USC is a better job considering OU is going to the SEC. Anytime you can be closer to top end talent, I, I think that's better. I think recruiting is, is what drives this game right now. And so OU has a disadvantage in the fact that, yes, Dallas is three hours away, but those kids grow up, you know, across a state line. That's kind of a boundary in some cases. And you've got mm -hmm. AM picking there. You've got Ohio State picking there now, Bama, Texas. Everybody's picking out of that DFW area. So OU doesn't really have an elite recruiting ground that's just theirs, um, like LSU does, like USC does, like Georgia does. Um, well, I guess Georgia shares the Atlanta area, but it's so huge. Um, and so uh, there's there's a ton of recruits to go, go down there in the southeast. I just want to quickly pause here real fast. I just saw a tweet uh, from Pat Forty. Uh, Barta, the college playoff commissioner on Notre Jesus Dame. Jesus Christ. Brian Kelly's absence is a part of the criteria for evaluating the Irish. Long story short, and this isn't in quotes anymore, long story short, at number six and without a head coach, Notre Dame is up against it. So because Brian Kelly left, Notre Dame is a, a lesser, worse, is, is a worse team. I know Bart has said a lot of stupid, stupid shit over the past month, but holy cow, 
That's a, so that's absurd to punish Notre Dame because their head coach decided to leave. So essentially, you're going to punish all 125 scholarship players that are on that football team because their coach decided to up and leave before the end yep. of the year. I um, I hope Notre Dame makes the playoffs and wins the national championship. At this that'd point. be awesome. <laughs> that yeah. would be quite a story. Um, but C- Corbin, you you mentioned talking about the the USC facilities. My um, dad actually had a chance to go out to, to the Rose bowl whenever we played, uh, UCLA here just a couple years ago during Jalen's year. Um, and the day after he went over to the Coliseum because the NFL game that was in town had to be moved over to USC's football stadium. Um, it's, it is not in a good part of town. I know that people are enamored with, you know, like Rodeo drive, Los Angeles, the high upscale, uh, you know, part of civilization for lack of a better term, but, um, USC is not in a very good place, um, location-wise, geographically speaking. Uh, stadium is old; it's worn down. Not a lot of renovations. If if people think that the renovate. West, if they, they did renovate, renovate. okay, renovate. so they have a lot of the premium seating on their their home side, press box side. They did renovate, so that okay. side I think is probably nicer. Smart okay. decision, right? High market value, renovate your premium seats. Kind of smart, but even then, it was like it looks it looks weird. And, and legends did it. So there's still a lot of contacts over there that I keep in touch with. There you go. Well, Adam, I, I kind of want to turn this over to you before we talk about coaching search. Um, it's, it's not so much the fact that Lincoln Riley decided to leave. It was the way in which he left this program kind of for bear. Um, and so just kind of talk to us a, a little bit about, and we can dive into this, the impact on OU's program moving forward as Lincoln Riley transitions to USC. I think it's going to be a hard two years here until the ship can get stabilized the transfer portal it hurts and also helps um, once we get a guy in here we'll probably see some guys start to trend our direction or maybe some guys trend back our direction but i i could foresee some scholarship issues where we're taking too many transfers too many juco guys kind of like kansas had not to that extreme but how kansas had when charlie weiss was there to where hey you know we've got to get our numbers back in order and, and get younger guys back in the program um, and it you know, hopefully, um, you know, and, and things will probably change. Once we get a name in there, we'll all get excited about him. We'll start seeing some good things happen from that point. But um, it, it could be it could be a really rough couple of years um, where we really have to write the ship. And now we're going to the SEC. Who knows when that might be? Could be next year. Could be two years from now. But um, it, it doesn't get easier from this point. I will say, you know, if we make the right hire, and we'll talk about who the right guy is, but if we get the right guy in here, it could be a very good thing for us heading into the SEC where maybe we'll, we'll have someone that is really energetic to get in there and, and change some of the things that we needed to change in order to be competitive in the SEC. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that the biggest thing for me in terms of the impact on the program, for me, it, I mean, it starts with our recruiting classes. I mean, essentially doing this the day before, you know, in-person visits, we're two to three weeks away from early National Signing Day. This essentially kind of kills whatever momentum we had building for 2022 in terms of in, if we wanted to add any guys that kind of, you know, kills that right now. We've also seen some decommitments here over the last couple of days, you know, Derek Moore, um, Kobe McKenzie are the two most notable ones at this point. And then just ruining the re- recruiting momentum in 2023. I mean, you talked about Adam, you know, we were the number one class in the country um, and it was shaping up to what was going to be probably the best class in OU history, uh, depending on what happened on the other side of the ball. And, you know, he left the cover pretty bare just 18 months before we head to the SEC. I tweeted it out on Sunday, and I'll say it again. Lincoln Riley essentially set the house on fire with everyone else in it and then locked the front door as he walked out. So um, 
not to mention the fact that he's he's taken four, I, I guess it's four coaches with him, Clark Stroud, whatever you want to classify him as. Um, I'm not sad to see Benny Wiley go. I think that we can have a massive upgrade at that, especially if we get who it looks like we are going to be getting as the head coach. You know, he'll be bringing somebody in that'll kind of not that'll kind of bring back in that tough, you know, hard nosed, you know, gritty type of mentality that we've seen, especially in the early 2000s when Stoops really had it going. So um, it, it's a huge setback, but I also think that there is an opportunity where if you get the right guy in here and he can make a splash higher, I think that you could be looking to to where it, it sucks right now but it could pay off in the long run for Oklahoma if Josie makes the right hire and we expect him to do so. The thing for me, guys, even goes before recruiting, and it sounds crazy that one one player on this team could have a huge impact on kind of where this program heads, but what, what happens with Caleb Williams? I mean, he is the face of this program for the next three to four years. You wouldn't think that a guy that seems to value loyalty and, and family and – all the things like Caleb seems to do that he would follow Lincoln to, to USC. But that is why he came to Oklahoma. I think that is why when you look at the potential hire and specifically who that offensive coordinator that is going to be coming with him, um, you know, that's a, that's a huge key to me going forward, guys. You all are, you both have already hit on recruiting classes, but keeping intact this roster, we've already had a few guys already enter the transfer portal. Doesn't mean they can't come back onto the roster, but keeping Caleb Williams has to be priority number one. I mean, you've got to keep him on this roster. So to me, that that's the most important thing at this very moment. You can recruit 2023 is still a ways away. 2022 is probably just going to be tough. But if you go into next season without Caleb Williams, I get we'll probably take a transfer guy and that's fine. But if Caleb goes, especially before the bowl game, we have zero quarterbacks on scholarship on this football team right now. So I think it's um, that's priority number one for me. And, and hopefully coach Stoops can stay in Caleb's ear enough to, you know, get him to stick around and, and see how it plays out. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that Caleb Williams made the decision to come to Oklahoma, you know, mostly because of the fact that Lincoln Riley was the head coach and with his track record as quarterbacks, it would not surprise me if he made the decision to go out to USC with him. But guys, it also, it wouldn't surprise me if he chose to stay. I mean, just kind of seeing the way that this kid carries himself. We, you know, we haven't been able to talk to him in the media. Hopefully, the next coach that comes in will be able to get a little more access into some of these guys and, you know, what what makes them tick. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Caleb was the type of player that said, "Okay, my head coach that I came here to play for essentially said, screw you. I'm going to stay at Oklahoma. I'm going to embrace the challenge, and I'm going to do anything and everything I can to hopefully, you know, win a conference championship, maybe even win a national title." And that can be the biggest middle finger that I can give is my play on the field over the next three years. But um, Adam, let's kind of transition over here. While Lincoln did decide uh, to leave to become the head coach at USC, we have a new interim head coach here in Norman, an old familiar face. They had uh, some flowers on his statue today. I thought maybe something might have happened to Bob uh, over the course of the nighttime. But uh, we had a press conference yesterday with Joe C., uh, President Harris, and Bob Soup. So just kind of what were your, some, some of your takeaways with the – kind of the mood and some of the things that were said yesterday. Honestly, it was kind of a pointless press conference, really just to make everyone feel good about themselves. And I guess there is some sort of inferiority complex for us as Oklahomans, uh, us as OU fans. We don't feel like we get the national respect that we deserve because we're not in a big media market. We were not a big alumni based type school that has lots of media members all across the country. So I think, you know, the way Lincoln left, I think, 
I guess some fans out there needed that reassurance that we weren't just going to go back to the nineties. I didn't need that personally, but on the same hand, I enjoyed hearing from Bob. Um, it was good mm-hmm. to hear from Bob and especially after, you know, what Lincoln did just to have someone up there that's so selfless, you know, I, I was probably just on the same boat, you know, as I was in being critical of Lincoln Riley and not being able to win a championship at this point in his career, as I was on Bob at, you know, in 2016, he had been there so long and hadn't really moved in the direction of another championship. Um, but he did something so selfless uh, for the university and the program by stepping aside, realizing, Hey, the timing, you know, is now Lincoln Riley's here. Let's, let's turn over the reins. Although it makes me really wonder if he'd stuck around for that 2017 season, would it have ended differently um, in that Rose bowl? We'll never know, but um, it was good to hear from Bob. Uh, makes you excited. makes you fired up. Um, we absolutely need to do something more than just the statue that's on campus. Although I don't know if Bob will, will let them, but uh, how cool is it to have him back for the bowl game? At least that'll be exciting and interesting for us. The first time ever, and maybe uh, the only time ever, that he'll be coaching his son. Um, so how cool is that? Yeah, I uh, the tone and the uh, attitude from both Joes uh, on the mic was about what I expected. Um, trying to calm the waters, put on a smile. I think they're still both human. I'm sure on the inside they're both very pissed about how all this got played out. I was surprised about how fired up Bob was. I thought he would take a very similar approach to both Joe's and be cordial and smiles. And I think you could tell Bob was a bit heated about how all this played out. Mm -hmm. And he gave Lincoln Riley the keys to his kingdom. It was not Lincoln's kingdom to his kingdom that he built. And Lincoln burned him. And I can't imagine... I mean, we're upset and we're disappointed. I can't imagine how Bob Stoops feels. I mean, he trusted it not only, you know, obviously with the program, the athletic department, he trusted with his sons. And this is how Lincoln kind of repays him. So, yeah, I think, you know, hindsight, obviously, I expected, you know, at least a guy or two on that presser to be a bit fired up. Um, But with how, yeah, with how angry Bob Stone came across, I was a bit surprised it it was that clear. We talked about it in the group chat before this thing started, and obviously there was some smoke that came out about an hour or so beforehand about Britt Venables. So we thought, well, maybe are they going to announce a hire? Is Josie going to pull this off? You know, less than 24 hours after the fact, but um, it kind of felt like me kind of going into it was this going to be kind of a state of the union address where they were ultimately the goal was to try and calm down the the fan base, let them know that the sky isn't falling. And I thought Bob Stoops in his opening statement, you know, he hit the nail on the head. You know, guys, I was. <laughs> I was fired up after after listening to him, you know, talking about how OU is an elite job. Uh, the Oklahoma football brand is is bigger than any one person, bigger than Bob, bigger than Switzer, bigger than Lincoln Riley. And even though this stings right now, and even though Lincoln Riley is a son of a bitch for the way that he did this, take a deep breath, calm down. We've got the best athletic director in the country, and we've got all the confidence in the world that he's gonna do that he's gonna make the perfect hire that this program needs right now. Um, I would actually be way more worried, I think, if Joe Castiglione wasn't here. They've just got to get this done quick because, you know, it's a dumpster fire right now. Norman, we've seen it with the decommitments, with the transfer portal starting to fill up a little bit more. Um, and my I, my second biggest takeaway on this, and to throw it over to you, Corbin, you could easily tell <clears throat> excuse me, that all three of those guys were beyond pissed off the way that this thing went down, especially Bob. I haven't seen him that pissed since 
what the 2014 Russell Athletic Bowl when Clemson just kicked the shit out of us, 40 to what 14 or whatever. Uh, and it's for good reason that Bob would be pissed off about it. I mean, Lincoln was the guy that he vouched for. He brought him in for from East Carolina, replaced Josh Heupel, and going into the 2017 season, Lincoln was the one Bob personally chose to hand the program over to. Bob wasn't fired. He didn't leave for another job. He stepped aside for Lincoln. He gave the program to Lincoln knowing um, Baker Mayfield was coming back for his senior year. This was a team that had a legitimate chance to win a national championship, probably Stoops' best team since 2008. Bob didn't have to do that, but he did because he thought it's what was best for pro- for the program. And when you think about guys like Bud Wilkinson, Benny Owens, Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops, you immediately think of three things, greatness, championships, and loyalty. That last word is something that Lincoln Riley lacked, and it clearly pissed Bob off uh, like no other, not just for leaving, but the way it went down on Sunday. Yeah, one quick thing, Adam, before um, you chat about this. So just a quick tweet from Steve Whitfong, hearing one Oklahoma commit not considering USC as offensive lineman Jake Taylor, who declined an in-home visit and an official visit invitation. Um, Obviously, who knows if he'll stick around, but tell you what, guys who – decline the opportunity to go with Lincoln will be beloved by the time they show up in Norman. Uh, another quick thing, another quick thing. Uh, Chris Plank just tweeted. I love minutes ago. Just so we're clear. I know we're all a little jumpy. I'm not reporting anything. I have answered the question the same all day has been said many times. The only word that will truly matter is that of Josie. So classic, uh, you know, people jumping the gun saying something, it gets caught in a soundbite and you got to walk it back. So just wanted yeah. to intervene there real quick guys. I don't think Plank is necessarily wrong. I just don't think he, um, you know, has the people that know. I mean, it's just Joe C, really. I think really where this is going to get leaked from is someone outside of the OU program um, yep. that's plugged into whoever that future mm-hmm. candidate is. In regards to Bob Stoops, I think we view that a lot differently, the transition from Bob to Lincoln, uh, than Bob does. I don't think Bob viewed him at, himself as the owner of the kingdom, you know, handling the keys to the car. I don't think he thought of it that way. I think he thought of himself as just a cog in the program and a piece that was probably holding the program back from winning the next national championship. And so I don't think he said, hey, this is my baby. Here's what I own. Here you go, Lincoln. I think he just said, hey, let me step aside and let Lincoln uh, step in. And so I don't think he's as betrayed as maybe we feel like he is or want him to be necessarily. I do think he's upset and angry about the way this probably happened. And I do think that Joe Harris and Joe Castiglione were, were, were pretty upset. I think there were some, some tells that they let off, especially Harris, the way he kept awkwardly smiling. I, I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of Harris or, or heard him speak necessarily. So maybe he always does that. But that kind of felt uh, unauthentic to me in the fact that maybe he really wanted to say something different, but he just kept smiling through it to be, you know, company line of, we're, we're going to be back. We're going to be fine. Here's my media response. Yeah, guys, want to transition here just real quick. Um, you know, we each tweeted out, you know, who our top three coaching hires would be earlier this week. Uh, wanted to, to revisit this. Obviously, more news has come out since we released that on Sunday. But Tyler, starting with you, um, you know, when you think of your personal preference, and you can put this your realistic hire or not, when your personal preference on who would your top three candidates be for the OU job and why would they be that, uh, that choice for you? Well, I think that there's a lot of things that, you know, factor into the decision that Josie's, you know, going to have to make when picking a head coach, you know, obviously you've got a program that's been, 
you know, decimated in less than 72 hours. Coaches are gone. Players have entered the portal. Recruits have decommitted. Um, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Corbin. You're a Caleb Williams transfer away from starting Ralph Rucker in the bowl game and him being the only quarterback on the roster next year, which I guess outside of Micah Bowens. Um, so you've got to bring somebody in to stop the ble- stop the immediate ble- ble- bleeding, but it also kind of has to be the the guy that can help get Oklahoma to the next level. You've got to get a guy that can come in and start the process of transferring Oklahoma into a program that's capable of competing with Alabama, Georgia, year in and year out. And, you know, that's going to take years after what Lincoln Riley did. But, yeah, I've got three guys that I think could do it. Um, personally, number one hire for me, I don't think it's realistic right now. I think he's got too sweet of a gig. I think it's Matt Rule. Um, he's a, a guy that, you know, took over for, for Temple back in 2013, had three years there, rebuilt that program, um, led them to their first conference championship, I think since 1967, we're all very familiar with his work that he did at, at Baylor. You know, he kind of took over in his brief coaching stint in Waco. He kind of took over after the aftermath, aftermath of what Art Bryles left. Um, and they almost beat Oklahoma in the big 12 championship. Now he's got a pretty sweet gig. Uh, he's in the second season of, I believe it's a seven-year deal worth $60 million. Could Oklahoma pull him away from the NFL? I doubt it, but he has a 10-18 and 18 record so far, and he's got Cam Newton as starting quarterback, so you never know. Um, but yeah, Matt Rule would be number one for me. Number two, I think, you know, like you just said, Corbin, Chris Plank has tweeted out, it's kind of been the name that there's been a ton of smoke around the last 48 hours. Brent Venables, he's my top choice um, outside of Matt Rule. Uh, a guy that's coached under three of the biggest names in this sport, Bill Snyder, uh, Bob Stoops, Dabo Sweeney, very familiar with this place, still has a lot of connections here within the administration at Oklahoma. He's got the relationships that I think that could help. It, it wouldn't be like a brand new hire. He's got a lot of the connections to where he could, I think, just slide back in and kind of pick things up and run with it. If you can get Brent Venables back in Norman, and we've seen a ton of former players kind of echo this same sentiment that I'm about to say, the defense that we remember Oklahoma playing back in the 70s, the 80s, the early 2000s, I think that you can start to see Oklahoma shift back to that type of football team. You know, the uh, the the punch-you-in-the-mouth mentality, not afraid to stick their head in there, make a tackle. All of that comes back to, to Norman whenever Brent Venables takes over. Um, you know, unless you want to go out there and have a really a change of scenery, unless you want to follow Lincoln Riley out there. If I'm a defensive recruit or I'm a current player that's on campus right now, Playing defense for Brent Venables doesn't get much better than that in college football. Ask Teddy Lehman, ask Roy Williams, ask Isaiah Simmons, uh, starting for the Cardinals. But uh, yeah, Brent Venables would be number one for me. And then kind of a wild card, just a couple sentences, wrap this up. Shane Beamer is one that's very interesting to me because he's kind of familiar with the program, just one year removed. Um, he's a guy, like you said, Corbin, Caleb Williams is a huge priority right now. He was very, very important in the recruitment of Caleb Williams. Maybe that's enough to keep Caleb and Norman. I don't know. But he's a coach that prioritizes recruiting, promoting the brand. But I'm not sure he would do it simply because of the fact that he did just win six games at South Carolina his first year in the SEC. So I'm not quite sure if he wants to leave South Carolina after doing what he just did, and it's only going to get better from here. Uh, But, yeah, those would be my three. For me, it has to be someone that can recruit at an absolutely elite level. Um, You're not going to win national championships if you aren't pulling in top five classes at OU. And so – Uh, For that reason, I'd say, you know, Brent Venables, I think he's a a great recruiter. I would love to have him. And I do like what you're saying there, Tyler, in regards to he knows this program. He's going to be able to hit the ground running in some ways. Same thing with Shane Beamer, another elite recruiter that has been here. Um, I don't it's interesting, you know, he turned down Virginia Tech. And I don't think that really means a whole lot because they've slipped a lot. I'm not sure that they're a better job than South Carolina. 
OU is a different animal. Maybe he, you know, that's too hard for him to turn down because he knows that, you know, South Carolina might be something that he's able to stay at for 10 plus years. Whereas at OU, he probably could. Um, so I'd be interested in that both Brent Venables and Shane Beamer are going to have to come with some pretty significant coordinator hires with them. Um, and then outside of those guys, um, you know, I, I mentioned Luke fickle in the past, I think I've cooled on him a little bit, Corbin. You've, you've convinced me. I think we need a guy that's got ties in the Southeast and recruiting. And it sounds like Luke Fickle might be the guy at Notre Dame, um, you know, regardless of how long it takes uh, him to get there. Marcus Freeman's one that's also been thrown around, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator. He could be the Notre Dame coach, but I could also see him sticking there because he was previously with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. So um, I, I don't know that he's realistic either. What I don't want is I honestly – Matt Rule, people love him because he played OU tough, but that can skew a perspective of, of a guy. You know, we were skewed in our perspective of Skylar Thompson and the way he had beaten OU a couple of years. And it turned out against most other teams, he was above average. So I don't want him. I don't want Matt Campbell. I don't want Dave Aranda. Those are guys that haven't necessarily proven that they're elite recruiters. They're guys that can get two and three stars to play above their abilities and, and you know, pull a team together. We don't need that at OU. We need four and five star guys. And a coach that's really going to, you know, develop them, but then get out of their way once they're they're out there and not overthink it. Yeah, uh, you know, my my picks on Sunday were Venables, Kiffin, and Fickle. Um, I won't say my my choices now have drastically changed, but I've got these in order for me, guys. Number one on my list is Shane Beamer. I know that he does not have the head coaching experience, but you look at the difference in our special teams since he was here. <laughs> Compared to when he now that he's gone, it is night and day difference. And the fact that he took a place that was in the dumps like South Carolina and won six games, that's impressive, even though it's only one year. The thing I like about Beamer most, though, is he comes with an automatic energy that probably nobody else would match who we'd actually hire. There's an energy that comes with him that is contagious. I think you're spot on. Adam, he was a huge reason, I think, that Caleb Williams ended up here. And that could be a huge reason that Caleb Williams would stay as if Beamer is the hire. Now, as with anything, assistant coaches there have got to be on point, right? He's still a young guy. He doesn't have very much head coaching experience, literally one year. The assistant coaches have to be impressive picks. Who could he bring with him? You know, because he has a lack of head coaching experience, I'm not totally sure. Um, but the thing for me that may separate him just a bit from the rest of the pack is that his price tag probably isn't going to be as high as a Venables, as a Fickle, as some of these other big names. And we can in turn use that money to bring on and entice better coordinators on both sides of the ball that I think would be a big help. For me, I've st I'm sticking with this one, guys. For me, the, the second choice is Lane Kiffin. It sounds crazy. He, he doesn't fit this program whatsoever, but seeing what he has done uh, the past few years, not only at Ole Miss, um, but FAU before that, like he's a dude that, that knows one, he's learning how to win. He has done wonders with this Ole Miss team and two, he's winning in the SEC. Now, granted, didn't look great against Alabama. He has some duds every now and then, but he also hasn't been there long enough to really get that, that program to be his. So I'm very curious about that. I'm a believer and hell guys, if Levy would come with him, I'm all for it. Uh, lastly, it is Brent Venables, right? It, it's hard to ignore his staple on the program, you know, in the past, the thing that concerns me, but also still excites me is that when Venables left, this defense wasn't what it used to be. 
And that gives me a little bit of pause. At the same time, the Big 12 and now going into the SEC is not what the Big 12 was when he was ending his tenure here, right? These teams were putting up 40, 50, 60 points every single week, week in, week out. That's clearly not what this conference is anymore, and that's not going to be what the SEC is when we move to it. So I've got a little more confidence that Venable's style is more in line with kind of where we're headed on the defensive side of the ball. Again, though, the big question mark there would be what does he do on the offensive side of the ball as far as bringing in the right personnel, the right people. If you can keep a few guys like a DeMarco Murray – like a Bill Biedenbow, maybe even a Kale Gundy. Maybe he's enough to be an offensive coordinator right now to go under Venables and for us to have success. Um, you know, I think that's something to to figure out. But um, it's weird that I have Beamer as my number one spot and Venables as my third spot when, uh, you know, Venables defense just shut out South Carolina and won 30 nothing last weekend. So those are kind of my my top three. It sounds more and more like Venables is the guy, but then you're starting to see, you know, recruits post, um, you know, pretty frequently at this point of him and Dabo being in their houses, which I think as we've learned over the past couple of days means absolute shit. Uh, so that's kind of me one to three in that order of how I'd, how I'd prefer it to play out. We asked our Twitter followers earlier today, put up a poll, who do they want as the next head coach at OU? And overwhelmingly, 81.2% said Brent Venables, Shane Beamer at 9.1%, Luke Fickle at 5.1%, and then other uh, at 4.6%. So I think everyone's looking at Brent Venables. I think he looks like a real comfortable uh, person that people, especially after what just happened to this fan base, I think people are really excited to get somebody that they perceive as, as loyal back. Um, here at OU. And um, I do want to say thank you to all the new followers that have have joined us recently. We've probably gone up by about 150 or so since our last episode. So so much interaction there that I've actually had to turn off some of the push notifications on my uh, Twitter app because my phone was blowing up so constantly. Um, but um, I guess what, I'll, what we've talked about here with Brent Venables and Shane Beamer so much is that um, both those guys really are going to need to come in with some significant coordinator hires. And there are still some guys in Norman, uh, as Corbin just alluded to, there's uh, Kale Gundy, Bill Biedenboe. Both those guys actually have the OC title technically at OU, although neither of them has called plays. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you've still got Roy Manning, Brian Odom, uh, who might be one foot out the door, and then Jamar Kane. Tyler, would it, would any of those guys interest or excite you as the actual coordinator in in uh, under a new head coach? In terms of strictly offense or defense as well, uh, either or like like would you take Kale or Bill as OC? Like would that excite you? And then also Jamar and Roy. I, I'm not sure if it would excite me, but I think I would feel comfortable with Kale just because he's been around this program so long. You know, he's he's studied under the likes of Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. He knows this team front and back. He knows good offense from a, pr- a play calling standpoint. I don't know how good he would be in a live game scenario. And as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, I think um, if you were going to give it to anybody, um, Brian Odom might be a popular popular choice. But I think Brian Odom, um, much like Bill Beanbow and much like uh, Roy Manning, it kind of sounds to me like um, we might know by the end of this week whether or not they're going to be in Southern California because I know that they do have an opportunity, an offer to go up there and join Lincoln. So we'll see kind of how the rest of that staff shakes up. Um, but for me, I think that you got to kind of bring in some fresh blood uh, in terms of this one. I, I really had three kind of offensive coordinators in mind. Um, obviously, we know we from what we've been told, sounds like Brent Venables is going to be that guy. Obviously, we'll know here a little bit later, hopefully in the next 24 to 48 hours. But um, 
you you'd have to bring in a big time offensive coordinator alongside Brent Venables, and you're probably going to have to open up the checkbook to do so. Um, three names that I really like for this role starts out with uh, number one choice will be Ole Miss's Jeff Levy. Um, I know that uh, Ole Miss is probably going to pay him upwards of two million dollars, so I think OU is going to have to open it up, maybe offering two and a quarter, two and a half. Um, but Jeff Lebby, you know, he's he's in his second season at Ole Miss. He is the offensive coordinator. He is the quarterback coach. So you're immediately replacing what you just lost with Lincoln Riley. Um, Ole Miss is a team that had the number one offense in the SEC this year, number three right now nationally. Um, he does have some offensive coordinator experience previously than his time at Ole Miss. He was the uh, offensive coordinator with McKenzie Milton at UCF just a few years ago. And guys, he has an OU connection as well. I mean, this was a guy coming out of high school that got a scholarship to play at OU, had a real early season injury at the very beginning of his college career, turned into a student assistant at Oklahoma uh, for four years, and then he graduated in 2007. So Jeff Levy is one to definitely keep an eye on. I know I've got a couple of buddies that went to Ole Miss. They are freaking out about the possibility of losing him. Um, so we'll see if OU can pull him away from there. And there's two, two kind of smaller ones. Um, Jamie Chadwell the head coach at Coastal Carolina. Very, very interesting um, possibility. I know that if you've watched Coastal Carolina the last couple of years, very, very high-powered offense. They do a lot of different things, a lot of different formations, a lot of different tendencies. They really try to confuse the defense. Um, I think that Jamie Chadwell is kind of an up-and-comer. He's a hungry coach, very similar to what we saw with Lincoln Riley when he was at East Carolina. Having Jamie Chadwell come in, who does have connections to to the southeast part of the country, might be able to help you out with the recruiting as well. Jamie Chadwell is a good one for me. And then I've kind of thought about this one a little bit more. I had him down initially, and the more I kind of think about it, I'm not sure how sexy of an appeal it would be to Oklahoma, but Graham Harrell, I think that this helps you. One, he's got college quarterback experience. He's coached at the Division One level, was just out at USC. It didn't quite work out at USC, obviously with Clay Helton getting fired. But he also has connections to the state of Texas, which is going to be something that is critical for Oklahoma, it's, it has been of the most importance over the last 20 years. It's going to continue to do so, especially as OU moves into the big tw- uh, into the SEC. Um, that's going to be a big thing for them. So, yeah, I've got Jeff Levy in a perfect world. That would be my offensive coordinator. But if you can't get those, maybe look at a guy like Jamie Chadwell or consider uh, bringing in a former Big 12 uh, opponent in Graham Harrell back to Norman. I don't see any way that Jamie Chadwell would leave a head coaching job when he's you know an up-and-comer he was in probably the mix for the Virginia Tech job. I don't know why he would be, go be an offensive coordinator at OU. Uh, coming from a, a buddy of mine that played quarterback uh, under Jamie Chadwell, I think that he would be very, very interested if you offered him the offensive coordinator job, especially the fact that they're going to go into the SEC. Yes, he does have head coaching aspirations at the Power 5 level. I think that that could kind of get him on the fast track to getting to where he ultimately wants to go. That's basically unheard of, though, from a, for a head coach to uh, to go from you know any level really to a coordinator position uh, once, a, once you're already in D one. It's exactly what Lincoln Riley did. He wasn't a head coach at East Carolina. I know he's actually one step further ahead than where Lincoln was, but an offensive coordinator position at the University of Oklahoma, I think, carries a little bit more weight than the head coaching job at Coastal Carolina does if your in-game is wanting to be a head coach at a Power 5 program. I feel like he was already in consideration for Virginia Tech and the Florida-type jobs already, though. So I don't necessarily know that like that's a huge step up to go from head coach at a you know powerhouse Sunbelt program to 
offensive coordinator at OU. Like that, that's good. Like he, I would love mm-hmm. to have him. I just don't think that that's, I'm not sure that that's realistic. Well, and like you said, if he's not, maybe I'll eat cons- crow. Well, and if to. he's not being, <laughs> if he's not truly being considered for the head coaching job at Virginia tech, who knows if he would even be considered for a, a, a little bit more of a minor position at a place like Oklahoma. But um, it's no doubt that uh, Chadwell is kind of an up and coming uh, rising star in, in the coaching profession. Yeah, I think those are all great points. So, guys, transitioning here just real quick, uh, you know, one thing we wanted to do this week is this obviously it's championship week uh, is to go through each conference and pick our winners uh, for who we think will be holding the uh, their perspective conference, you know, trophies at the end of this. Uh, and I want to do one thing we don't have on the script, just to kind of a college football landscape chat as the new rankings have come out this evening as well. But let's go one by one, guys, real quick. Um, nothing too crazy. Big 12, OSU, or Baylor, who do you have winning this conference? Pretty simple, OSU. I mean, they've got the healthy quarterback at this point on the roll, so got to go with Cowboys. I got OSU as well. Any hangover concerns? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, so. no one's talking about them at this point. So, well, yeah. and especially with them being, you know, newly ranked number five in the playoff poll, having another chance at a top ten win this weekend, um, unless just chaos ensues uh, in Alabama, knocks off Georgia, the very good chance that if the Cowboys win this weekend, they'll be representing the the Big Twelve in the playoff. Uh, that's what I want to talk about after this. Uh, same conversation: Michigan, Iowa. Any chance for uh, the Wolverines <laughs> to be in a hangover mode? Michigan blowout. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Pitt Wake. Take a little tougher here. I take the over. I think Kenny Pickett's <laughs> the the better. I think Kenny Pickett's got the better team around him as far as defense offense balance. So I'm I'm going Panthers. Pitt's defense is the difference maker. Still yep. going to be a game probably in the high 40s, but we'll see which defense can make a stop. But I'll I'll pick Pitt in this one. Maybe the most difficult game for me to pick is uh, Utah Oregon. Yeah. 100% agree there. I'll go with Utah simply because they blasted them the first time, but I, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it'll be very close. I picked Utah in the preseason to win the, the Pac-12. I'm going to I'm gonna ride with it, so um, it will not be as dominant as the 38-7 to ass-whooping that we saw a couple weeks ago, but I think Utah does enough in here. Ducks uh, play well when they're the underdog in the Pac-12 championship game, as we have learned in years past, so just watch out for that one. Uh, and then lastly – our future conference, Georgia, Alabama. Is this finally the year that Georgia gets over the Bama hump? Sure seems like it. I mean, I'm, I'm rolling with the dogs here. Uh, Bama is not inspiring at this point. It'll be the best offense Georgia has faced all season long by far. Um, Tennessee was good, but Tennessee doesn't have Alabama's skill talent or their, you know, the, the big guys up in the trenches. So I think Georgia does get a gun, does get it done, but this will be the best team that Georgia's played all season long. Best defense George has played all season long outside of Clemson. Uh, Clemson's Clemson's pretty Clemson's good. pretty tough. I mean, they played some other decent defenses in Arkansas and uh, and Auburn as well. Alabama struggled moving the ball against the Auburn defense, so we'll see what they can do against Georgia here in yeah. just what four four days, three days. No clue what to expect out of that one. Uh, Bama's just so unlike Bama. It's you would think it's all Georgia, but that that line bothers me. Georgia minus six and a half seems too easy. Anyway, uh, one thing I wanted to hit before we get to beers and bets, guys. New playoff uh, rankings came out tonight. Georgia, Michigan making the jump to number two. Bama, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame. No one really cares about that. Um, we talked about this briefly last week. Oklahoma State is not a shoe in And 
the playoff committee made that apparent tonight that just because they win on Saturday doesn't does not mean they're in the college football playoff. Uh, if Bama wins, OSU's on the outside looking in, or do they pass to Cincinnati? I think it, it's got to depend on how Cincinnati looks on Saturday. Houston's um, now ranked, and how o, and how OSU wins. Um, as much as it pains me to say it, I do think that if OSU wins by ten plus points, I think they're in, and um, that's that's not a great scenario for OU fans. OSU has a chance to go to the playoffs and get a, a win in the playoffs, maybe even play in a national championship game or even win a national championship game before OU ever did. That's that's sickening, especially when you look at this field and know, man, OU had it right there within their grasp. Even as poorly as they played all year, OU could have had a chance of being in this playoffs and going with Cincinnati and Michigan, uh, two foes that have probably you know lesser talent and not have to go up against those behemoth LSU and, and Alabama teams that we're used to. Man, that stings. I'm just trying to picture Tyrese Robinson and Anton Harrison trying to block Aiden Hutchinson um, of Michigan. for. I don't think they would even try. Well, they certainly didn't try blocking Colin Oliver against in Bedlam in the second half. But uh, no, th- that's kind of interesting for me. I mean, obviously, if, if Georgia wins, it all sorts itself out. But if, if if Alabama figures out a way to pull it off, then you've got Alabama and Georgia. Um, you can go ahead and factor Michigan in there as well if they take care of business against Iowa. And I, it, it's hard because I don't see, now that the committee has finally put Cincinnati into the top four, if they win this weekend, that's an undefeated, perfect regular season. But then also at the same time, too, their best win and really their only ranked win um, is against Notre Dame, and that was nine weeks ago. And Oklahoma State is playing a top-10 Baylor team this weekend. That's another quality bullet point in their resume that SMU is not going to have. So I I personally would put Oklahoma State in. They've got the better resume. I don't know who would be favored on a, on a neutral field, but I, I just don't see him passing up a, an undefeated Cincinnati. The, the wins down the stretch are great for Oklahoma State, but you can't take off the schedule the fact they lost to Iowa State, who is that is now a very poor loss, I think we can all agree, compared to what we thought Iowa State would be at the beginning of the season, compared to what their record shows now, that's not a good loss. Um, and Cincinnati, as crazy as it sounds, has the best win in college football as of this week. The best win in college football. They are not moving. If they win, they are not moving out of the top four. My, my, my question is, and because because this is just weird and we know the brain of the SEC and how much it carries and specifically Alabama, if Bama goes and loses in overtime, loses on a one-second left field goal to Georgia, I'm not necessarily – I think it would happen. I think Oklahoma State would go. But I'm not necessarily thinking like 100% pokes are in regardless how Bama loses. I think if Bama goes out and does something weird, there's going to be a lot of chatter about that. If they lose close. I could, I, I could see that. Let me go on the record and say I would be okay if OSU is squeezed out of the playoffs. <laughs> Just being petty. Love I mean, they, they absolutely deserve it based on what they've done so far. But uh, uh, I don't know. At this point, I'm just having a hard time even interested in talking about the playoff or hearing about the playoff after what we've gone through over the past three Fair. days. I just – I would uh, – as much as I don't want them in, I think I would enjoy watching Spencer Sanders go up against the Georgia defense, just for what it's worth. I think that would be very well, that that um, would be great. Something that would be great. Something that is could be very interesting if chaos ensues. If Alabama wins, if Baylor finds out a way to beat Oklahoma State, if Cincinnati falls to to Houston, 
Baylor. Who do you – Baylor. But I think I think probably it's Notre Dame. No, but then you have to go to the quote that we saw tonight that like Notre Dame losing its head coach is, is a criteria, which is just unbelievable. Um, but, yeah, that's all I want to touch on, just some hypotheticals there. I do think Georgia wins. They probably win convincingly. I think Oklahoma State – I think Baylor's going to give them all they want. Um, but moving on to beers and bets, I just want to note that just – Ever since this damn trophy has been created, we have now have a new leader in the clubhouse. Uh, I'm not going to call, you know, conspiracy theory because we've done that enough tonight. But that is what I think is happening. So to kind of round us into form, Tyler, two and three last week, 31, 37, two overall. You are now in sole position of first place. Myself, three and one with a 30, 37 and three overall record uh, going one, three and one last week. Adam, the reverse psychology uh, did not pan out in week two's efforts. Uh, 0-5 last week, 30-39-1 in his picks, rounding us out into third. So just to kind of talk these through for our listeners who maybe you do or don't give a shit, um, we are going through, obviously, this is a very close race. The first tiebreaker will be, you know, if – for whatever reason, one of us catch up to Tyler. First tiebreaker will be that that tie game at the end. Uh, Tyler has two. I have three. Adam has one. Uh, from there, if we're still tied, we're actually going to make a final pick in the Army-Navy game. A coin flip will decide who uh, makes the pick, and the loser goes to the opposite of whatever the winner picks. It's not great, but we don't necessarily have a ton of options either. If we get into a three-way tie, I don't freaking know. We'll figure it out because uh, then I'm I'm pretty much at a loss. So, yeah, let's we'll just let the we'll just let the listeners send in some uh, some mail in ballots to my house, and I'll tell you who wins. I think we should go back on uh, you know possibly a tiebreaker of who won or lost the uh, voter choice for where Spencer Sanders places uh, as as top five quarterback in the Big 12. I think that'd be a fair one. And we already have that on lock. So that could be a way to do it. But Tyler, start us off here. Uh, not a whole lot of games to choose from, obviously, this weekend. But who's your uh, your first pick for this week? Well, I thought it would be nice and probably be prudent to start transferring some money over in case I do need to cover the shipping costs to get this trophy out to wherever <laughs> you guys are. But I think it's just going to stay here. My money's going to be safe. Um, pick number one for me, Big 12 Championship. Oklahoma State, a five-and-a-half-point favorite versus Baylor this weekend. kind of feels weird that a Big 12 Championship game is not going to feature Texas or Oklahoma. I think Bob Bowlesby's probably laughing his ass off in his in his office right now. Um, I would feel better about Baylor if uh, if Gary Bohannon was playing, but seeing as how I don't think he's going to be able to give it a go, that Jim Knowles Cowboy defense is going to get after Baylor on Saturday. If Spencer Sanders could play a clean game, this is a double-digit win for the Pokes. Oklahoma State is 9-3 and three against the spread this year. Uh, so give me the Pokes and the points. Don't you dare, Adam. Don't say it. Am I going second here? Yes. I'll, uh, I'm not going to say anything. Um, I'll, I'll take Houston plus 10 and a half. They're playing at Cincinnati. Two really good defenses here. I think this is a one Houston, Houston's been playing well down the stretch. Um, for me, I'm sticking with that same game. Adam, I, I, I know defenses are pretty solid on both sides. Both these teams do tend to put up points. Uh, I've got the over in this of 53 and a half. Pick number two for me, Iowa versus Michigan. Michigan is a 10.5-point favorite. Started out as 11 when woke up this morning. Um, I liked Michigan at 10.5. Excuse me, I liked them at 11. Now I can get them at 10.5. Uh, 
Uh, give me the Wolverines. I think this this is a blowout win, and Jim Harbaugh will march into the college football playoff. Number two for me, App State at Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, the Raging Cajuns are a three-point dog. I will take the Cajuns to cover that. This was a blowout about a month and a half ago, and I know Billy Napier is no longer with Louisiana, but uh, and App State was without uh, Cam Peoples in that game. They still had uh, you know some some other guys that can really run the ball, but um, th- this is this is in Lafayette. So I, I think the Raging Cajuns are going to be able to win this game outright. Yeah, at this point, I'm basically just going up against uh, Tyler's picks the rest of the way. Um, we have been competing, basically, for who can have the least worst record week in, week out. I'm going to bank on that happening this week. So the rest of the way, I'm almost solely just going against Tyler's picks. Against all odds, give me the Hawkeyes, plus 10.5 against Michigan. It makes no sense whatsoever. But there's only one way to come back for me in a game down, and that's just going head-to-head. So let's let's get after it. Pick number three for me, Western Kentucky, one-and-a-half-point favorite versus UTSA. Uh, I have not watched a single one of these two teams play all year long. I'm just kind of going with my gut. Uh, Western Kentucky has won seven in a row, and they lost their their last loss was 52-46, to shootout against the Roadrunners a little bit earlier this season. Uh, UTSA, Jeff Trailer, they had their perfect record snapped a week ago against North Texas. And even though the Roadrunners are going to be at home this weekend, I'm picking the Hilltoppers to get their revenge and – what should be another conference USA shootout. So give me Western Kentucky minus one and a half. Uh, I've got that same game, Western Kentucky, uh, one and a half at UTSA. I think this will be one of the last times that either of these teams are able to compete for Conference USA uh, because UTSA is going to the AAC and Liberty is about to join Conference USA and just run this conference. You know, I didn't have this game on my card, but since both of you took Western Kentucky, I really feel the need to take UTSA. That seems like easy money now. Uh, I'm going to wait. For, I'm going to wait for now. Uh, give me, keep me in the ACC, uh, wake first pit. Give me pit minus one in the first half. That's the first, uh, first half that we've had in quite some time on this podcast. I Maybe like my it. only one all year. Uh, next one for me, pac 12, uh, Friday night, Utah minus three against Oregon. Like I said earlier, uh, Utah crushed Oregon 38 to seven a couple weeks ago. While I expect this one to be a little bit closer, I still like Utah, Cameron Rising, um, that combination running back of <clears throat> Tavion Thomas, TJ Pledger, two former Oklahoma guys, I might add. Um, give me Utah minus three in this one. Next up, I've got Kent State minus three at Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois, uh, last time they played Kent State, absolute shootout um, against uh, Dustin Crum and uh, the Golden Flash there. But uh, Rocky Lombardi's been banged up. Uh, he might be able to give it a go for the Huskies in this one, the Michigan State transfer. Um, if he does, that'll give him a better shot, but I'm banking on uh, Kent State being able to just be a little bit more healthy here. Sticking with it, Oregon plus three versus Utah. Um, Going to trust the Ducks in the Pac-12 championship game. Traditionally, I think they played pretty well there, so give me the fighting Ducks. Last but not least, pick number four, it's the game of the week in college football. Georgia, six-and-a-half-point favorite in Atlanta, SEC championship game against Alabama. Georgia, This Georgia squad, I think, is Kirby Smart's best team. Uh, and on Saturday, they're going to have a chance not just to win the SEC championship, but they get a shot at knocking the Crimson Tide uh, out of the chances of making the college football playoff. Georgia's defense, man, allowing just 6.9 points per game in the regular season. <clears throat> Uh, but the Crimson Tide have won the last six meetings. And while I think that Alabama and Bryce Young is hands down the best defense, or excuse me, the best offense that Georgia is going to play all year, this just feels like it's meant to be. 
which probably means that Alabama's going to win, but I'm trusting Georgia in this situation uh, to cover the six and a half. Corbin, you taking the tide? I have it written Sorry. down. I have it written down. My my last one is the Lincoln-Riley bump. Um, USC plus four at Cal, a game that was rescheduled from earlier in the year. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know much about either of these teams. I just think USC is going to feel the bump here of a new coach, new energy and excitement around the program. I don't know if Lincoln will be on the sideline or not. I really don't care. I'm probably not going to stay up to watch it. I hope USC loses by 50 and everyone transfers, but um, give me the Trojans uh, plus four. The real bet in that game should be the over under on how many fans are going to be in attendance for that one. I don't know. They probably don't let fans go to the games in Berkeley anymore still. Yeah, so be true. Bring that mask. Yeah. So my fifth pick I had down here, Bama plus six and a half. Um, I really don't like it. I think I'd rather switch to UTSA minus one and a half, but I know as soon as I do that, UTSA won't cover and then Bama will. It makes no sense guys. Why Bama's a six and a half point uh, dog. It seems like it should be more. I think I think the SEC knows that if Bama wins, they get two teams in the playoff. I don't know. Screw it. Ugga Bama, give me Bama plus six and a half. It makes no sense, but let's do it. Money line two? No. No? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that's going <laughs> to – You guys got anything else on this Lincoln-Riley debacle? Are we good? I've got nothing nice to Stop. say. Stop believing every tweet or every post on a message board. Okay. Like we've seen some weird stuff past couple days. Just God. nothing's going to happen until Joe C announces it. It's just going to be that way. So just breathe. It's going to happen when it's going to happen. We'll go from there. It's amazing how so many people have sources nowadays uh, to we're to sauces things out there. <clears throat> There you go. Well, that's going to do it for us on tonight's episode. As always, give us a follow on Twitter at the mainline pod one, like, and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star review. Uh, it's a crazy time right now. OU fans. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed listening to this. Um, this has kind of been the Lincoln Riley cleanse. The sky is not falling. Um, like Bob Stoops says, this is the university of Oklahoma. We are going to rise again. Just need to get the next head ball coach here in Norman and we'll get things going. So, uh, for Adam Corbin, Tyler, thank you guys for listening. <clears throat> we'll be back next Tuesday night. Hopefully to talk about a new coach and wrap up the 2021 season right here on the Mainline Podcast.